This episode is brought to you by Dragon Ball Legends, the mobile fighting game based on the Dragon Ball series. Featuring high-quality 3D graphics and authentic voice acting, the game follows Shallot, an original character, and his adventures with Goku and others. With intuitive controls and simple card-based gameplay, unleash combos and powerful team-based attacks. Battle players around the world in friendly matches, compete in the rankings, or team up in co-op. And now Dragon Ball Legends 5th anniversary is on. Download Dragon Ball Legends today. Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, the weekly podcast featuring conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and fostering in a new era of social progress. We want you to listen, connect and grow with us. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. From an impact point of view, whenever whenever I think about things, we we analyze the impact first, um, and so whether it's um, investment or granting, um, we'll start from what the impact is, um, what area it's serving. Um, we use a framework that's based on the impact management project, which is um, looks at who the beneficiaries are, how deep the impact's going to be, how long lasting will be, how much it might change the lives um, of the people affected, um, and you can do that for a for an investment or a philanthropic grant. Those are the wise words of Adam Milgram. Adam is a force in the social impact sector and wears a few hats. So it's probably best to follow his lead on LinkedIn and describe him as a strategist and venture partner at Giant Leap Fund, which is part of Impact Investing Group. He's also a board director at Your Grocer and Future Super, and he's a strategic advisor at Luna. He's also recently opened his own family office with his siblings called Triple. I invited Adam on the show because I really value his ability to speak about the intersection between business and social impact from a range of perspectives. He's an accomplished funder, dealmaker, supporter, and advisor of social enterprises and social business in Australia. He's done some amazing talks at PauseFest and Real Big Things, where I was lucky to be on hand in the audience taking notes. Some very brief housekeeping before we get started. This week, we've switched across to ACAST to try out their podcast hosting platform. This won't change much for you in terms of listening, but you might notice some changes on our website if you listen there and to our social posts and link sharing as well. ACAST will hopefully give us an opportunity to grow the podcast and enable us to reach new audiences here and abroad. It's part of our ongoing quality improvement journey. For those of you who don't know, Humans of Purpose is now 100% community-powered and advertising-free, with our generous Patreon supporters enabling me to cover the majority of my monthly costs of production. As always, a big thank you to our Patreon supporters, including Clyde, Susie, Kynan, Deb, Sue K, Carmen, Misha, Sue P, Joel H, Levi, Jules, Sally, Will, B, Lyndon, Olivia, Joe, McCartan, Joel F, and Stuart. You can become a monthly Patreon supporter today for as little as the price of a single cup of coffee at $4. Of course, you can support us at whatever level you like. I highly recommend checking out the Human Plus option for some amazing behind-the-scenes access and ability to be connected to our podcast guests. To join our Patreon community, just hit the link in our show notes or head to patreon.com slash purpose. Are you subscribed to our periodic newsletter, The Purpose? Well, it went out last week with a refreshed new format, and I've had some amazing feedback on this today. To sign up, just hit the link in our show notes and enjoy our fancy new landing page too. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Adam as much as I did. So I am absolutely thrilled to be joined here by Adam. He is a person interested in doing good through the power of investment, and uh, he has many titles, all of which you could check out on LinkedIn. But first, I might hand over to Adam. Welcome. You know, thanks for joining me and welcome. Uh, 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. This is this is definitely fun. Um, do you want me to kick off with a bit of an intro? Yeah, to- sure. Why don't I ask you? I just kind of left that open, but I was <laughs> going to say to you, um, we're, we're both a bit rusty. This is like two months since our last in-person podcast, so the rust is all coming off. But um, please, if you can, tell me and ask the audience a bit about your journey um, into what you do now and what drew you to the investing in good kind of space. Yeah, sure. So um, I think I'll go way back. Um, and um, I think the my introduction into the world of like kind of adulthood is that I – I thought I would just do business, um, and um, for me that that just meant selling stuff to to customers. And I didn't really think that it was more complicated than that, and I didn't think that it mattered what I sold. Um, and um, and so when I when I went to uni, I, I studied marketing and management. I figured that they would help me do my business, um, and then um, started working in agencies doing um, communications, strategy, technology, um, and helping businesses um sell and kind of build and um communicate with their customers and across a whole range of big companies and I did that for about 10 years both in agencies and um also on the client side with within companies and after about 10 years I I realized that I I didn't care at all about the the products that these companies were selling and that um maybe I should um and um I was thinking about like how can I use these skills that I've developed for good, um, and because I, I I just loved the game of business and I, I loved the kind of the psychology and the way you could um, excite people um, by using um, kind of the tools of business and so I thought well if I wanted to use these these tools and these skills for good um, there must be a way and um, so the first thing I did was I I started looking um, at not for profits and philanthropy and charities and I thought well. Um, maybe they could use my skills. Um, and I, I found very quickly, at least in the not-for-profits I spoke to, that the, the game of business and the game of um, not-for-profits didn't intertwine um, and that they didn't want to play the game the way I had kind of learned it and that they didn't want the skills that I had um, developed. Um, and, um, and so I was talking to people about um, how I might be able to do this and unsurprisingly got led towards Danny Almagor, um, <laughs> who I'm sure is very unsurprising. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure he's been mentioned on this podcast before. Um, we can't and- mention him too much. They have the rival podcast of Dumbo Feather over, the, over there. <laughs> Not quite rivals. They're killing us, but you know, <laughs> um, so I think, um, so, so meeting Danny and Barry and, um, and um, finding this kind of uh, niche of people who believed that you could actually intertwine these skills and it was okay to care about what a business did um and how it made its money and how it treated its people alongside um using the the kind of game or using the skills within business um was really exciting to me and that was probably uh seven or eight years ago and i that's that kind of sent me on a journey into a rabbit rabbit's warren of um this world of um working working with businesses for good and um because of my background in strategy, I've kind of ended up in the kind of in that intersection of strategy and capital, yep. um, which is which I just love. And do, do you sort of look at Danny and what he was doing and think this guy sort of cracked the code a bit? Yeah, I think that uh, like I feel super lucky that we like standing on the shoulders of giants um, is definitely um, how I feel. I think that their um, their philosophy of thinking about um, what a business does and how it does it as a primary um, factor in evaluating um, what 
a business, whether what is like kind of the true essence of a business, yeah, um, was a big departure from where I had thought about it. I had like I, I was thinking like in terms of customer loyalty and P and Ls and balance sheets and um, whether they had their marketing right and whether they knew their customer, um, but not um, not at all in terms of values and um, outputs and um, the the actual impact of a business. And I think for me, it was something that like once I'd seen it, I couldn't unsee it. And, yeah. Um, it's so, a kind of a visceral truth to it, isn't it? So where you sort of realize that, you know, you, you had this whole idea that maybe there was a pie of economic value and you were seeing just kind of, you know, a quarter or a half of that pie, but not the, the full portion of, of um, maybe the impact or the or the value within a business. Yeah, totally. And then from there, it was probably a journey of um, working out where exactly within that space um, was best suited for me to play. Um, and so I've, I've played a couple of different roles and I still play a couple of different roles, um, within that place, um, to tickle the itch. Cause there, it is a multifaceted, um, area. We well, seem to have found the perfect kind of role that impact investment group. Uh, I said that with a question cause I always get confused. Is it investment? Is it investing? I know we're doing both, but, um, you sound, you, you feel to, as though you found like the perfect kind of spot because you can kind of choose or be part of some really exciting investments that do good and also portfolio manage a few of them and get close really on a fundamental level to how they run as organizations too. Yeah. So I'm really lucky. I work with the team at Giant Leap. Um, and I know you've had a couple of them on the show. Shout out to Rachel um, Yang, Daniel Madhaven, blah, 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 a few others. <laughs> um, yeah, good friends. And so I'm, um, I'm one of the external people on that team. Um, and so that means that I get to come and do the really fun stuff. Uh, so I help them find companies to invest in, uh, help select um, where we make those investments, um, although the real hard work on that is done by Rachel and Charlie and Will um, yep. on the ground. Um, and then post-investment, um, I'm one of the people who gets to kind of help those investee companies with strategy um, and with their kind of long-term plans. And so through that, um, I get to work with Future Super, um, who are ethical superannuation company, and Your Grocer, um, who in this moment are going crazy doing deliveries from local businesses, um, a company called Applied, which is based in the UK, which is a- um, Shout out to Kate Glazebrook. <laughs> um, you've had all my friends. On the I'm podcast. just shouting out everyone. Um, yeah, so which is that fantastic. just means that we're, we both are in a good space, and like I know that that's the case because when I see you, I started to see you at a lot of events in the sector, and I started to realize, oh, great, Adam's here, <laughs> and kind of the people you were moving with in those circles and Impact Investment Group and the White House and whatnot are all really you know such forerunners in the space. It's super exciting. Yeah, it does feel like a movement's building, and it feels like the, there's definitely a um, there's there's a sense that the wind is behind us at the moment. Mm. Um, I think that the, this is really the time um, for uh, impact investing as broader, but even just um, thinking about how you can be true to your ethics throughout everything you do, whether it's where you work and how you spend your money and where you invest your money. And I think that um, now is probably the first time in history where you do actually have that opportunity. Yeah, and I think I've seen you speak on that. You did um, Real Big Things. I always think to say Real Big Fish. Do you remember that scar band from the early 2000s? No. Okay, okay. <laughs> Anyone who's listening, email me and just confirm that you know I am a cool guy back then. Uh, but um, the Real Big Things, you did that great talk on sort of your power to really vote with your feet and you know the, the silent money that we don't think about that we invest every day in our future. But if we're not really clear on what our sort of 
our investment lens or our kind of value model for the future is, we could be investing in a horrible future um, misaligned with our values. It's super interesting. Yeah, I think super is a really interesting space because I think the the incumbent model of superannuation is that you as a consumer or as a, a member of a superannuation fund, you're not. they don't want you to ask questions about where your money's invested. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to just trust that they'll put it in a good spot. Here's a 500-page PDS. Just um, look over this and then sign when you're ready. Yeah, and there, so there's been some research into like the percentage of Australians that think their money or expect that their money through their superannuation fund would be invested ethically, and it's somewhere north of 60%, 70%. And then oh, when God. you look at – because that's just the expectation. It's like I'm trusting these people with my money with my retirement – of course, that they would be doing that in a way that is aligned to my values. Um, but then when you look into it, um, the actual number or the, the percentage of dollars that is invested with any kind of ethical, um, responsible uh, lens over it is minuscule. Um, and it is probably our biggest impact opportunity in Australia. So you, you clearly ask you the dumb question, but do you think people care where their money goes as long as it makes a certain return? Uh, yes, I, I probably fall into the camp of um, believing that there isn't a trade-off um, unless you – like there could be if you wanted there to be, but there's no inherent trade-off. Mm. Um, I, we're, we're speaking in kind of the midst of COVID um, and um, one, <laughs> one of the – it's hard to feel like good things have come out of this because like it's obviously um, globally a, a, a really difficult time for – for the whole world um, and most people. Um, but one of the things that has come out of this is that responsible investing has outperformed um, kind of what would be called traditional or some people might call arsehole investing. Um, <laughs> what do you call it? <laughs> um, I, for me, it just doesn't make sense because it, for me, the the it is clear to me that the, the industries of the future are so tightly aligned with the industries of um, – what an ethical or responsible um, portfolio would be. And so when you look at what an investment of something that's going to be in your portfolio for 5, 10, 20 years, why would you want companies where you – we know that there is no um, oil and gas companies in that time. Like it is obvious that the future is renewable energy. Yeah, they have like a quite limited shelf life or future horizon. Exactly. So why would you want that in a portfolio which is designed to be over that same time span? Um, you're way better off getting out and investing in things that um, are positive. I think that there. Um, I think that that like within that, um, obviously there are risks in all investments, and so it's not a fait accompli that um, if you invest in a particular way, you will. You will make any kind of returns, but you, you do highlight an interesting um, inverse relationship there between bad events and doing good, which I think you know. And I think maybe this is an interesting segue to you know the fact that we're all enmeshed in this together in COVID, and a lot of people are probably thinking about their own values. And you know, you see the news stories about all these people in trouble and vulnerable communities, mental health, and this is on the back end of the bushfires. So a lot of people are probably thinking. You know, what should I do? Yeah, I, I think so. With Future Super, we're definitely seeing that. Um, so, bushfires was definitely um, a time in Australia where people felt disempowered um, and they looked at the government response and didn't see um, what they would have hoped to see. Um, and they looked at uh, the kind of factors leading up to that, which were decades of um, kind of disregard to the environment um, and 
saw that and and felt disempowered. And I think that there, it's really hard for just an, an everyday person to to understand how to take action in that moment. And yep. so we've definitely seen um, an increase in people protesting, an increase in um, philanthropy towards the environment. Um, and I think Super's probably the unsung hero in that, in that it, um, Australia has one of the the largest pools of capital um, that is that could be directed to anything, um, and it doesn't take a huge amount of that as a percentage um, to really shift the dial on what we're doing with the environment because the amount of money is, in a relative sense, not that much, and the amount of super we have is a lot, um, and so we've seen a huge a huge influx of people coming to Future Super. Um, for their desire to increase their own personal capacity um, to have a positive impact um, and throughout kind of businesses that have positive, uh, uh, we've seen, we work closely with the team at B Corp and we've seen uh, increases in people trying to buy com- from companies that align to values. And for me, that's a massively positive um, step and a way to make people feel more empowered with what they do. Yeah, big time. I think there's a lot of um, sort of thinking about agency in that, you know, what, who, who am I, what are my values and what can I do to, to best uh, represent those values in a time of crisis? And you just, you can't help but um, beyond super because I suppose we don't as a population think about super too much unless you're about to finish work and you're shitting your pants about how decimated you've been. But, um, you know, people are really thinking about um, they're, they're flooded in their email and maybe on the street a bit by charities and sort of, you know, saying, um, you know, we're, we're, we're desperate for money. What should we do? What can we do? And it's an interesting time, I suppose, in terms of investing and whether you kind of in terms of philanthropy as well and personal giving and institutional giving and that choice between following the tragedy or following your values and how do you navigate sort of between the two? Yeah. Um, so I, I think – Philanthropy is super important um, and there there are huge problems that we can't solve with any other tool other than philanthropy. Um, and so I think that that is not to be disregarded. Um, but philanthropy is also the most expensive dollar that you can give because it doesn't come back. And so the amount of impact that you should hope to get from a dollar of philanthropy um, it is extremely high. Mm. Um, and so – for me, for me, that, um, that means that, and for me, that means that the, um, the implication of that is that if we just use the philanthropic dollars that we've got, we're not going to solve the problems, um, that we face and that we should be looking to all the tools that we have, whether it's our skills yeah. or our other finances, um, and use as much as possible towards creating that future that we want. I suppose that's why it's a super interesting space in a way. You're, you're really working at that intersection between altruism, which was maybe the philanthropy space, and also you talked about you know needing to get a return for what you're doing as well. So maybe impact investing in sort of some of that space around thinking about super is that perfect alignment of you know future expected return and um, future expected good. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough. I work with the team at Street Smart, um, which is a homelessness not for profit, um, to help grassroots homeless organizations. Um, and I, I work with them and that they're solving problems that, um, there is no investment case for. Um, but then I also get to work with, um, Australian Communities Foundation and actually help them invest their corpus, um, for good. Um, and they're supporting philanthropic organizations, but they're supporting uh, the way where I interact with that is supporting them from the investment point of view and trying to trying to have that 
portfolio that Corpus aligned to the mission of um, their foundations. Um, and so there is a really natural play between what's happening um, in the investment world and what's happening in the philanthropic world if you're all pointing towards positive impact. Yeah, that's it's super interesting. So, do you are you a big proponent then of mission driven giving and uh, and and financial support, or is it sort of do you start that way and then look at the business case, or is it the other way around? Um, so, from a from an impact point of view, whenever whenever I think about things, we we analyze the impact first, um, and so whether it's um, investment or granting, um, we'll start from what the impact is, um, what area it's serving. Um, we use a framework that's based on the impact management project, which is um, looks at who the beneficiaries are, how deep the impact's going to be, how long-lasting it will be, how much it might change the lives um, of the people affected. Um, and you can do that for a, for an investment or a philanthropic grant. And who, who's behind the IMP? Because that, that sounds quite interesting. Uh, so it's a it's a group of impact investors that have come together to kind of agree on the standards, oh, right. um, and so they've come up with a framework which will will classify um, any let's call it any investment um, as may or may cause harm, avoid avoiding harm, benefit communities, and contributing to solutions. Ah, oh, so it's like a scale. Yeah, very and cool. So they go through. Um, they go through each of those. There's about six components that will drive into um, where you land on that scale and how much additionality um, your investment might have. And so we start from that. And um, if there is enough there, then we'll look at the business case. Um, but for but for me, it's like uh, there's the the quote from the model of that she doesn't get out of bed for more than ten thousand dollars a day. <laughs> I, I feel like for for me the equivalent is like if there's I'm I'm not interested in going deeper if there's no impact. Like, and, but I mean, do you, you must come across cases where you know there are things that are done that that are high impact value where the impact model is really hard to flesh out or it's really unclear. Yeah, certainly. There's definitely these are not clear cut answers, and the, there's definitely a belief um, in that. Um, and there's there's trust and there's belief and there's um, an understanding of forecasts. Um, but I think the, the the dirty secret of traditional investing is that those those beliefs are there. If when you look at a, a forecast from a company, um, there there are a multitude of assumptions that they've made that you have to believe to believe their financial forecasts. Yeah. Um, just because it's written in numbers doesn't mean that it is a fact based on um, good logic either um and we've seen now like if you would have looked at 12 months ago what the airline industries <laughs> were saying um they certainly weren't predicting um this outcome yeah this is a crazy one though i feel like this is the, just a black swan that no one you know could have seen coming uh, i think that's true but i think but uh, except for bill gates who in an interview like four years ago famously did predict this but everyone else is in the dark but there's always going to be black swans and so i think that you 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 should build yourself with the resilience, um, and like clearly, this is not something you would expect. Mm. Um, the airline industry is a, a really great example because I think they're in that like just as a concept, it's entirely ridiculous in terms of the environmental impact versus the you know maybe the utility overall of what it does. But but then on a purely selfish level, everyone loves going overseas for holidays, and it, it's one of those things that kind of is impossible to think couldn't exist because it's just too detrimental to the planet. Yeah, I my dream is for Elon Musk's realization of his thirty minute flights across 
um, across the world in a rocket. I think like going to Paris for lunch is probably like <laughs> the highest thing on my list. Do you want to try and pronounce his kid's name? Uh, I, I well, I've I've seen that neither he and his not even he and his wife agree <laughs> on how to pronounce it. Um, so maybe best to stay out of this. It. Is, <laughs> that's probably not my territory. Yeah, I think unpicking those impossible industries where the future is kind of like unforeseeable, a bit like, you know, um, should we invest in black coal uh, right now or, you know, gas? And it's just, it is really interesting to see how something like COVID has really smashed them apart at the seams. Um, even things that just sort of involve a huge amount of international trade and transport for the first time have been uh, unstuck. Yeah. And things that you would take for granted um, have been shaken, things that, um, a friend of mine was telling me that spa sales have have skyrocketed. Oh, I'm, I'm all um, over them. Yeah, see, <laughs> but think like you wouldn't expect like in a in a pandemic. What go, like what do people buy? Adam, I need my comforts. I need a <laughs> spa. I need a private spa. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I think all the things that bring us extreme comfort and a sense of comfort tend to like skyrocket at uncertain times. Yep. But um, it's crazy stuff, really, isn't it? And how are you going through through COVID? How's your transition been to that new sort of type of normal? Uh, yeah, it's been super interesting. So um, lucky that uh, I I am remote, and all the teams that I work with are remote. So that was a pretty um, pretty seamless transition for me to work from home. Um, the big difference for me was that I've got two kids, um, and uh, trying to work and entertain and homeschool um, them has been. Um, definitely a challenge um, and finding a rhythm and f- making them feel safe as well as keeping them kind of entertained and um, helping them understand why they can't see their grandparents and doing family dinners on Zoom and um, reading books across Zoom. Um, and they're like, their brains are so plastic. They've been so amazingly resilient to that and um, generally happy. But that's that's an experience that I would never have expected um, for them to experience. Yeah. Um, and so that's probably been the biggest transition for me. I'm excited that hopefully they'll be back at school and with their friends, um, in the coming weeks and that, um, I won't be so responsible <laughs> for their education. <laughs> for their edu- exactly. <laughs> um, and that it's just, it, it'll be in the future, like for them, it'll be just a blip. Um, and they'll hardly remember it, but I think, um, it'll probably be very impactful for in terms of, the long term of how we socialize and how we Yeah, I think gather. certainly our generation and at this sort of age group, we will clearly remember COVID very well and tell our kids all about it. And we also, you know, you've got kids in the most of their living and you've told them about it a bit, but, you know, it'll be one of those sort of like foundational moments. Like when I talk to my dad, um, where were you when, you know, Lennon died or, you know, something like that. It's when, you know, Reagan died, it's just, you know, like there's all these kind of moments. COVID as a period is just so bizarre that I think we'll remember it for a long time. And yeah. what it's done to work, what it's done to relationships, how it's thrown out people's routines. And I think actually the anxiety around routines and wanting certainty about what you do during the day when you've got kids at home at work and lots of stuff going on, that's why the spa sales have gone up. Yeah. You know, you've got to, you've got to try and find whatever you can to just hold on to some pleasure or luck, luxuriation. Yeah. Um, so you, you, I'm just curious about your work because so before you talked a bit about like being external uh, to the team and whatnot, I assume you still get invited to all the events like Christmas parties and whatnot? Uh, I get invited to some of them and I, I, I get um, not invited to others. Um, so I work mostly with the Giant Leap team um, and get invited to the things that we do. Um, the, the broader IRG team is amazing though and it's a pretty sprawling team these days. And um, so they do a whole bunch of stuff that I don't. 
I don't interact with. Um, but you, you you must enjoy, and like I wonder whether it's almost been easier for you this transition um, during COVID because you're used to sort of being like you know doing lots of different things and happy to be a bit you know running your own show. Yeah, it's interesting. So one of the things about like I think of myself of having like a bit of a portfolio approach to to business. I work with a, a lot of different companies, and normally. Um, that the cadence has this kind of natural rhythm where only one or two companies need you at any one time. Um, that's not true at this moment. Well, it wasn't true <laughs> a month ago um, where all of a sudden um, everyone's assumptions were thrown out um, and um, I had to hit the deck um, on all the companies at once. Um, and so we did a lot. I th- and I think one of the things um, that I'm reflecting on that has been different about COVID is we went very internal. Um, and so normally we... Normally, when you're out looking for companies, looking for opportunities to invest in, um, you're going out and meeting a lot of new founders and a lot of new companies. Um, but since COVID hit, it's been really about supporting the companies we're already involved with um, and making sure that they have the finances that they need, they, that they have re-forecast and that we um, cut a plan that uh, makes sense in this new world and that um, this high level of uncertainty um, can be understood by employees and by um by customers and that we could do a plan and so having all the companies need you in one moment um is definitely been different but uh, luckily uh they are all they all have really capable management teams and founders and uh i feel really great that they're all in spots they've all weathered the storm really really well um when you work with these guys um it, it looks from the outside just as just as me, kind of that, you know, impact investment group decides that they want to invest in a certain company and um, as, as part of that process, uh, you join, that they put one of their people on a board and that person sort of helps to, you know, just do everything a lot better. Is that kind of a bit of the idea? Yeah, I think it depends on the investment and the company and what the company needs and um, how large our investment is. Um, and so some we have formal board positions um, and others we have informal relationships with company um, and founders. Um, and so I, I work with companies where we have both of those. Um, and really, as far as I'm concerned, is I, I'm at the service of the founders. Um, it, if I can help them achieve their mission, um, not only will that help them be more successful, but that our little piece of their pie will be will be more successful about it. And so that might be helping them with strategy, but it also might be just making an introduction to a, a potential business partner, a potential customer, a potential recruitment, um, a potential staff member, um, or a potential future investor. And you must um, enjoy working with inspiring people because, you know, that's very much the, the space that you've chosen to spend time in is full of these, you know, bright um, megastars who are just doing incredible work and you know just to be around them and see them speak is is quite uplifting yeah for me it's fully it's completely energizing i think the the biggest thing that i would reflect from my my past of working with big companies and trying to help them was that um they were really scared of the future and that they were they all the actions that they were taking were really defensive and i think the biggest thing about working with entrepreneurs is they're excited about the future and they and they attack it they attack life they attack business yeah, and they they just want they want to make change and they want to go for it and they don't uh, they don't want to stop and think about how they can protect what they've got today. They really want to go out and grab what's tomorrow. And for me, that is so energizing. Yeah, super exciting. And I, I think I share that um, in common with you just to, by way of loving the podcast. You know, I get to sit down with. Part of it is you know making something 
you know, a story for others, but a big part of it is just um, enjoying being around interesting people who really bring something to the table and they're not all about the defense. They bring a strong offense game. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, so I did want to ask you a little bit about uh, Triple as well because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm keen to learn a bit more about your personal philanthropy journey and sort of how you're giving through Triple as well. Yeah. So Triple is um, our family office um, with my siblings. And so we, we're doing investing and philanthropy um, granting out of that um, across all asset classes. Um, and so we'll, we do some stuff in venture capital, um, but we're also looking at publicly listed companies and, um, and bonds and um, who we bank with and um, all, basically all the different facets of how, how a financial system can be used as a force for good. Yep. Um, and that's really our, our starting point. And so we, um, we, we got together a couple of years ago and we're thinking about how we could leverage what we do personally um, together as siblings. Um, and it's been, it's been fantastic. It's been really interesting working with my siblings. It's the first time we've worked together. Um, we've, we've all got other, we all wear other hats and other kind of day jobs. Um, but working together with them has been really rewarding. And how do you think about, I mean, it sounds to me like you're working across a whole range of sectors where there's an opportunity to create behavioral or investment or personal um, investment decision change that will create a better future. Is that, are you thinking about that mainly or do you have certain kind of like goals or social change that you plan towards? Um, I, no, I think we're, we're, we're probably in a more learning phase for it. Um, and so in that phase, we're pr- pretty broad. Um, we don't have a specific impact area that we're focused on. Um, but we, um, we, I think our, our basic thesis is that, um, the kind of idea of better, not perfect. And so my biggest goal is that our portfolio this year looks better than last year and next year looks even better. And it's possible that the definition of better will change over time as well. And it should, as we get better, our vision of what even better would be and like we should be continuing moving the goalposts and pushing ourselves harder um to do more but if, but if you do and one of the one of the tenets of what we want to do is we want to be able to create a portfolio that is recognizable um to other people who might have family offices and when to do that i think unfortunately you might be self-limiting if you did want to do that in with a specific impact area at the same time yeah um i think that it, it would be hard to work out how to create something that other people could copy and oh, yeah. also be very niche. But I think there's a great utility as well and be able to say um, in this sector, which creates great behavioural change, this is the best for good product uh, and not necessarily be constrained to like a, a traditional basket of goods, so to speak. Yeah, it does change super fast though and um, particularly in the investment world, what's available to invest this week might not be next week. Um, I mean, we see that particularly in venture capital it's like companies will do an investment round and then go and go do the work for 12 18 24 months and not be open for investment in that period um also funds um will open and close and so what's the best opportunity this week may not be the best opportunity next week and so we do think a lot about opportunity cost and if we make one decision what decision can't we make and how much do you spend 
of your time talking to other family offices and people who are running family offices? Uh, almost none. Um, unfortunately, and this is one of the things we're trying to do, we're trying to be more open, more transparent about what we do. Um, but unfortunately, family offices is a little bit of a black box um, and not many people want to talk about um, how their families no one. do things. No one. Yeah. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> Just to get them to come on the podcast is, is a real challenge. But um, that's kind of why I ask. It, to me or to the outsider, it's kind of a fascinating sort of um, forbidden space in a way. You know, like it's it's really interesting to hear about people frame their decisions. Um, it's like one of those last spaces where collaboration really isn't kind of the buzzword of the day. It's sort of people just go their own. and Yeah. In the impact space, it's um, it's – it's better um, and where we kind of hang out with other impact investors. We've done co-investments. So I'm starting to get an insight into how other investors think, um, but it's, but it's still pretty private. I think the, the expression um, that like, if you've seen one family office, you've seen one family office mm, is mm. pretty true. It's very, very, um, very, very unique. And, um, I think that makes it hard for people who want to raise money or receive money from family offices that it is um, so nuanced and so much at the whim of the principles um, and that can change really fast. Yeah, 100% agree with you. And I think that every um, investment group is trying to give you seminars on how to you know, do well with family offices, but really you know, it, it just depends so much on who they are and what they are looking for at that time and, and whatnot. Um, I think you've got just incredible experience across a range of spaces. So I'm curious if you have a few people, books, or influences in general that you could share that it's informed your own kind of um, approach to learning, development, business, impact investing. Um, whew, that's a lot. Um, so on. So I love I love podcasts. Um, and um, for people who want to learn more about investing, um, I highly recommend a podcast. Uh, probably two. One's called Invest Like the Best, um, and the other's called Capital Allocators. Um, both fantastic podcasts on kind of the thinking behind investing. Um, that neither of them are impact. Um, and I actually, my, one of my fundamental beliefs is that um, I, I should learn from the best and then apply that to my area of interest. Um, so I think those those would be kind of the podcasts um, on books. Um, Annie Duke's Thinking in Bets. Oh, I um, love that book. Uh, just fantastic way to kind of be deliberate about making better decisions. Multiple uh, time World Series of Poker Champion. Yeah, and um, and just thinking in thinking of things in probabilities rather than absolutes. Yep. Um, and using that to get to improve yourself. Um, the other one, which I, I, like, kind of is probably a crowd favorite by now, but is predictably irrational. Yeah. Um, uh, just uh, and, is Dan Ariely. Yeah. Yep. Um, and. Uh, kind of understanding that um, we we do not make rational decisions mm. um, and that emotion drives so much of what we do. Um, and uh, who, what else? Well, people? Well, it was a very vague question because I didn't know whether you lean towards books, podcasts, or just sort of thought leaders. So I think I just trying to frame a broad question around, you know, like what are your major influences culturally and educationally? I think you named a couple of great podcasts, a couple of great books, um, anything worth watching on in TV that you recommend? Um, oh. uh, I've kind of a, of a – a Netflix binge watcher. Yep. Um, just finished Atypical. 
Yep. Which is um, kind of a coming of age story, which um, of a an atypical kid. He's um, a boy with autism, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and his sister and kind of how that family develops. Yeah. Um, very is, very great show. I watched that with Louise and we loved it. Yeah. Um, so that's been our light light relief during COVID. Yep. Awesome. Hey. Thank you so much for coming on. I have been a bit rusty. It's been two months since I've sat in a room with another person who's not an immediate family member, but uh, terrific to have you in. How can people connect with you and learn a bit more about your work if they want to? Yeah, so you'll find me on Twitter at A Milgram um, and, uh, or on LinkedIn or kind of the other socials. Um, and then, yeah, connect with me either through Triple or Giant Leap. And you're a terrific speaker and, I guess, a person to talk with. Do you kind of – are you missing doing a bit of the speaking and um, and media and comm stuff or have you got things lined up? No, I actually um, – I don't like being behind the microphone very really? much. And um, so I'm, I much prefer the in-person conversations. Wow. So. It's amazing because, you know, what you did at Pause Fest and also uh, Real Big Things, which is, I thought this guy's a terrific speaker. So that's awesome to hear. Thanks. Yeah, yeah thanks for coming. Uh, absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player or the link in today's episode notes. Why not share the podcast with your networks? After all, 62% of our subscribers come from word-of-mouth recommendations and social shares. You could also leave us a five-star review and some kind words in the iTunes store. If you love what we do each week and want to support the show, you should join our growing community of Patreon supporters or consider becoming a show sponsor. To learn more about all of that, just head to humansofpurpose.com. 